0: Welcome to a special Wednesday mini-episode of Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissident thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting as always from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain, Tennessee. And today, I've got a special co-host. My special co-host today is a man from the hottest podcast around right now, the Southern Maryland Guitar Guru Show, a guy who I think is doing everything right, Dan Harsha. Dan, what is up?
1: What's up, Nick? What's happening, man? It's good to be here today. I really appreciate this, man.
0: Happy snow day.
1: Yeah, man. I'm, I'm just chilling in my studio all day. It's like a dream come true.
0: Right on. Hey, I'm glad to have you here, man. I was on your show like two weeks ago, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I've told you a couple different times in phone conversations. You guys are doing everything right on that podcast. I can't believe the movement you've already gotten out of, what are you on now, 14, 15 episodes?
1: Yeah, episode 14 comes out this Friday at 8, and it's just been, the response has been insane down here, man. The the community's really rallied behind us. Um. Everybody wants to get on board. My March schedule is almost full, um, so it's just insane right now, man. And all the local musicians are sending, me, yeah, they're sending me their music. So we're gonna start playing more of that soon, too. So it's really cool. I'm down with it, man. It's really happening.
0: And it's crazy because I couldn't imagine, and maybe this is just me and my own bias response growing up in Waldorf, but I couldn't imagine a fucking southern Oklahoma guitar guru show or a southern like um, Arizona guitar guru show. And I, I always feel like I might over-romanticize it. And this is why me and you are going to put together a little southern Maryland Wilmers Park documentary this summer. But I really feel right. like that scene is special down there, especially the scene we came up with in the eighties um, and nineties.
1: Right. Well, and another thing is, is when I was on um, the, the, the manager of the hot Licks guitar shop in the mid, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody in the scene was aware of me. So when the show launched, they're like, Oh, it's Dan. I remember him from Alex. Oh man, we've got to check his show out. Oh man. Yeah. This is awesome. I remember him at the store. Yeah. Let's do it. So that, That's- I think that really, that really helped out.
0: Well, and I think that's what makes that scene special in Maryland, more so than other scenes I've been in, because I've grown up in a couple different states and been in a couple different music scenes in my life, is the unity. I think there's just this coalition of unity in Maryland that I haven't seen in other scenes, at least in my experience.
1: Uh, I know, it's it's really unique, and what's crazy is that Hotlick just shut, shut down and went out of business, um, retired, and the other music store in the area, Island Music, is like they stepped right in and, and they, they, that's, the, that's the store to be at now. And they're, they're actually sponsoring a segment on the show. They, they sponsor the guitars a week. So every weekend I get a guitar from them and do it upright, take pictures and put it up there and we talk about it. And it just adds great content to the show and really brings the community together because everybody shops there now. And they say, hey, I've seen that guitar there. Oh, man, wow, that's the one. Cool.
0: Right on, really man.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah, I'm really yeah, looking forward really cool. to coming down to Waldorf again. I haven't been for any period of time. I think in two years, it's been two years since I've been back out there.
1: Yeah, a lots changed since then, man. Wait till you come down the Route Five um, interchange to the um, where where the old TV junction was. It's completely redone, man.
0: It's well, a- I'm sure the traffic hasn't changed. All right, let's get our fabulous producer in here, yeah. D. Who do we have coming up on the next couple shows? Well, the next couple of shows are going to be just as interesting as today's show because we're going to have Adam and Eric from Kudzu Wish, and we're having Lyle Blackburn from Goldtown. So yay! Hooray! Lots of fun stuff coming up. All right, let's get today's guest in here because I'm actually on a lunch break at work cutting this mini episode. Today's guest is a legend in the Maryland music scene and loved worldwide from the dynamic turbocharged <laughs> metal band Kicks, the charismatic crusader himself. Steve Whiteman.
3: <laughs> That's the best introduction oh, yeah. I've ever had. Thank you and good oh, night.
0: I'll see you later. I think we said all the needs all right. we be said here. Nice good right, talking to you. <laughs> let's stick around for a minute, because i got to tell you something, man. Right off the bat, before we even jump into the music, um, I was watching some recent videos, last two, three years of you on YouTube, and I am just fucking blown away by just your youth. You're in your 60s now. You look younger than me. Don't tell anyone. Wow, well, it's on Wikipedia, man. There's no That's secrets true. anymore in the Internet age. But <laughs> your energy level, you're bouncing around more so than any of my friends. We're in our mid-40s. You've almost got 20 years on us. You look better. You're in better shape, and your energy level is just through the roof. Is this all due to the band? Would you just totally fall apart if it wasn't for this band physically? No,
3: I've always been a workout enthusiast. I take pride in in how I look, and 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 my biggest inspiration as uh, as a frontman is Mick Jagger. Now Mick ahead, Jagger Mark. is still running rings around everyone. So you know, I look mixed on it. At seventy two, I'm sixty two. I can do this another ten years. So it's all a matter of taking care of yourself and. And give it a shit. You know, you don't want to go up and look like a blob on stage and you want to give your audience the best performance you can give them each night. So it matters. So I guess that, that's my driving force.
0: I agree. You can also throw, I think, um, Iggy Pop and Alice Cooper in that category, too. Exactly. Absolutely. Those cats are still Steve, going fucking hard. Yeah, Steve Tyler. And Steve just, Tyler. Still the yeah, I hope I'm in that shape at 62. Not that I'm in bad shape, I'm especially living in Tennessee, man. I'm probably one of the skinniest guys up here on the mountain. But just seeing uh, you at 62, you're something to inspire to, man, especially your energy level well, and the way you keep bringing it. Well, thank you. And another thing, too, that you said that's interesting, I, and it just reminded me, a few years ago, I was in a band called Even Steven, got a few years. Ago. This was like 10 years ago. And we had some, we lost our singer. We had some people audition for us. And my friend's friend came and auditioned. And I was like, Yeah, he's all right. He doesn't have the right look. And they're like, Well, what do you mean? It's like, I don't know. He just doesn't look like a guy who would fit into the band aesthetically. He doesn't look like he takes care of himself. He doesn't look like he's somebody who would really fit in. And people were kind of like, Wow, man, you seem like a dick for saying that like a judge somebody purely by their looks. But I'm like, that's that's important, right? Having a band have a full look and being aesthetically pleasing and being the same band you saw 20, 30 years ago in you guys' case, as far as you know, not just somebody who's just standing there immobile because they're so out of shape, I think that's important.
3: I, I agree with you, but there, there are exceptions. I um, mean, look at Cheap Trick. Look at the opposite you know, look that uh, that those guys had back in the 70s and 80s, and it worked for them. That was all, it was, con- was kind of like their, their gimmick or their shtick, but we were always conscious of, of you know, having the, having the, the current uh, appealing look, so it, it it was a conscious effort, and even going through the what they call hair metal when everybody was teasing their hair and using makeup, that's something that I never really got into. Uh, I think Ronnie and Brian dabbled in it, but we were never really a big hairspray makeup band.
0: Well, I will say, just as a fanboy, I remember back in the '80s, it was you and the singer of Kingdom Come. I was like, "How in the fuck do I get that dude's hair? What do I?" Because I had long hair, then. but my hair was like all flat and matted looking. I was like, "How do I get the guy from Kingdom Come or the singer from Kix's hair?" Because those dudes have perfect metal hair. For whatever I don't that's get it worth. Either.
3: I, I, I was I was blessed
0: with metal hair,
3: and and thank God I still have it.
0: Indeed. Dan, you want to jump in here? What do you think about the old metal hair? Did you have long hair years ago?
1: No, man. I got got a curly cabbage type of hair. So if I let it grow out, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just never (laughs) does nothing, man. And I got teased a lot as a kid growing up, so I just kept it short, man. I just had to own what I had.
0: I know about 10 years ago, I tried to grow my hair out like Midlife Price is saying, and because it's gotten a lot thinner, I just look like the Quaker Oatmeal dude. And I was like, all right, it's time for me to accept (laughs) I'm pushing 40. All right, let's talk about the band. Um, Full disclosure, I kind of moved away from the metal world in the mid-90s. I played in metal bands all through the 80s and got more into the punk thing. So especially if it's metal that was written after 1995, I've kind of checked out. So I went back and I checked you guys out. You hadn't been on my radar since probably Hotwire. And I was taking that trip down memory lane. And I got to tell you, man, I enjoy you guys now more than I, ever, like I even did back then. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with your documentary. I mean, that documentary was really awesome. I think it's probably the best documentary I've watched, a rock documentary, since The Story of Anvil. How did that documentary come about, and what has the fan response been? Because I think it really captured you guys' essence, and it gave me a clearer understanding of what you guys were about.
3: Yeah, you know, it it sort of just kind of fell into place. We had these guys um, contact us that wanted to come and shoot a live show in Baltimore, and we just said, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." And they came in, and they start uh, sending us footage after they shot it, and it looked so amazing. That we actually made a, a live concert out of it with a with a, a video and, and DVD and when it came time to uh, think about doing a documentary we immediately thought of them and they come in and the whole the whole thing was about us making our first album in nearly twenty years so it wasn't about the history of kicks or you know the biography or anything it was about how how we disbanded for over eight years, got back together and got more popular than ever. And now now we're we're considering making a new record. And that's what the whole that's what the whole video was about. So and the fans really embraced it and it did it did really well and yeah, we're pretty proud of it.
0: Well let's talk about Rock Your Face Off because that album came out almost twenty years after your last album, Show Business. And right. I know that your um ex bass player had written a lot of the songs. Donnie Purnell was the main songwriter, yep. correct? And now yeah. you go to rock your face off, and I'm listening to these songs. And man, like, I'm like, these songs are really, really fucking good. I don't understand why Steve wasn't writing to start with when you look at this, one you kind of answered this. Does this inspire you because you see the huge response you've gotten on this album? I think it entered Amazon at number one in the hard rock category, for, and it was there for a month. And it was on what was it, number forty-seven on the top two hundred Billboard? that, yeah, it debuted that doesn't on. mean anymore. <laughs>
3: that really doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, if if you hit the top two hundred and you're on there for a week and a half, it doesn't mean sales or anything. It's just yeah. it's just a, a silly number these days. It's all changed so much.
0: But the reviews were good, and when you get reviews like yeah, that, do yeah. you kind of wish that you were songwriting from the beginning, because you writing the songs certainly didn't fucking hurt anything. That album had a huge success.
3: Well, I was writing. I just wasn't. Uh, my songs just weren't being picked for records. Um, the man, the man who wrote all the songs, was in total control of Kicks at that time, and everything had to go through him. So you know, he was, and he was a great songwriter. Nobody would argue that, but trying to get a song in edgewise was really, really difficult to the point where it just wore us out. You know, all of us just felt like our contributions were null and void. So what's the point? So we just kind of let him um, do what he did and, and we believed in his music, but it, it was discouraging. So, when rock your face off came together and we were putting that album together it was the first time we ever got to contribute as a band i mean it was just so it was so uh, it was just it was something we'd never experienced before it it was the of the word i'm looking for liberating to wow I mean, this is how other bands really do it yeah, yeah.
2: that's what so I'm about so
3: we that. would love to you know i'm pretty sure we're gonna we're gonna do another one because we had such a great time doing it and we were we were super proud of
1: it. My, I, my question is, if you could explain the recording process from the very first album, then to rock your face off and explain the oh. technology leaps and, and where, oh my. Where, where, where it started and where you came from and how y'all rode that wave And Because I'll tell you, man, um, I'm a 40-year-old guy, okay? And, now, and I've been playing music now since I was 13, so you know, the years have added up. And I never would pay attention to anything I was on right now, but now I'm open to all avenues. Now you've progressed and you're into the, your 60s. <laughs> you know, can you reflect back on the process of the change of the technology and what it's meant to y'all's band? And do you think that's why y'all come back like you've come back is because of the technology and the change of it?
3: I don't know if that's why we came back, but we, we started out, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we actually got our record deal playing in Waldorf, Maryland. We had an A&R guy right. fly into D.C. and came down to Waldorf at the Stardust, which is long gone. But um, And we called everybody that we knew in Southern Maryland and, and packed this place on a Wednesday night. And the A&R guy was blown away. The next week we were up in New York uh, showcasing for the president of Atlantic Records, and he signed us. So we, we actually got our record deal in Waldorf.
0: Holy shit. No, I didn't know that. That's a great piece of trivia. Yeah. I do remember yeah, I do. you guys being hometown heroes growing up. I mean, I moved down there when my parents split up, and my dad was dating another woman, and her daughter' name was Paige. And I remember as soon as I got to town and lived with them, she's like, "Have you ever heard of Kicks? Have you ever heard of Kicks? They're going to be huge. Have you ever heard Kicks?" And even though you guys were from Hagerstown, which is probably at least an hour north of Waldorf, you were still there. Was a lot of pride, and Kicks was still hometown heroes in Waldorf. So that yeah, doesn't surprise a me. lot
3: of. I'm, a lot of the locals claimed this, Baltimore claimed this, DC claimed this, obviously our Hagerstown, West Virginia claimed this. Um, but we, we were fine with that. But getting back to Dan's question, when we when we started, we recorded our first album in New York City at Atlantic Studios. And when you when you first walk into a studio when you're from Hagerstown, Maryland, and you see the immenseness of the boards and, and, you know, uh, working with Tom Allen who just come off of the Judas priest albums. And we were, you know, we were like blown away by the whole thing. And, and then we made our second album in, um, in Miami. And again, you know, just all these famous people, um, Aerosmith was in there, Julio Iglesias, Meatloaf, all these, all these big names were, were in there. And, um, same thing, just you know, the, the, the immenseness of it and and the technology, which they weren't really hip on letting us in on what they were doing and how they were doing it. They they wanted to be in charge. So I guess when our third album, we were back in New York City at Atlantic Studios again with Bo Hill, who just come off of uh, the Big Rat success. And you know, all these albums did really well locally, did great. Couldn't have done any better. Couldn't keep them on the shelves in a four state area. After that, it was it was donuts, nothing. So finally, on the "Blow My Fuse" album, when we got, we went to Los Angeles and did with Tom Werman, who you know has done everybody, and then then it finally it finally goes. And that was that was mainly because the record company saw the hard work that we'd put in, all the touring that we'd paid for ourselves, and just was relentless and and would not give up. So they, they finally uh, repaid us for our uh, just our. Drive, you know? And then Hotwire. Same thing back in Los Angeles, back with Tom Worman. And that was the beginning of the end. That's when the Nirvana's and yeah. gardens and all the bands kind of kicked us all out of the party. So the technology through those years didn't really change all that much, but it was in the next ten years when everything turned into Pro Tools and, and you could have a studio in your bedroom that, that was as good as what we made our first album on. So when when we got to Rock Your Face Off, Mark Shanker, our, our bass player, had built a studio in his house and he had he had soundproof rooms and he had he had everything that a, 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 a big studio would have except for a good way to record live drums. So we did go to, to a studio for Jimmy to record the drums and everything else was done in Mark's house. So and the record sounds great. And also we had um um we had Taylor Rhodes involved on that. He was involved in songwriting with donnie on the blow my fuse and hotwire records so having taylor involved kind of kind of kept us in line of what he felt a Kix fan would want to hear so he was essential in keeping us um kind of up to date and current with our with our our fan base
0: let me ask you something else about rock your face off i'll get you right back in here dan when you're doing this album and you see the reviews that it got and you saw this the fan frenzy for it. Were you surprised by that or or did you know there was a hunger for kicks to come back and you kind of had a feeling it was going to be a success on some level once you guys put that album together? Well, we knew since we came
3: back and and we started playing shows again and we we really just started locally doing like the our comfort zone in the four state area and then we got a call from an agent in California who, who begged me to, uh, to, to let him represent us. He said, I can get you guys booked across the country if you give me the opportunity. And I just thought he was out of his mind. And I just laughed at him. And then he, he, he was relentless. He kept calling me and calling me. Wow. He was a huge fan. So I finally relented. And the first thing he booked for us was Rock, So we go from playing these little regional shows to playing in front of 20,000 people. And the reaction was eye-opening. It was like, holy shit, these people know who we are, and they care, and it's just, it's just increased every year. We're, we're playing like 35, 40 shows a year, and that's as much as we really want to do, and it's, you know, the crowds are coming out. They're, they're, they're knowing who we are, and I think, um, I think Sirius XM Radio has a lot to do with that, um, and just our live performance, because we go out, and we kick ass, and people remember us, because we're doing a lot of festivals in front of a lot of people,
0: and that's no lie, man. And I bring it right back to what I said in the intro. I went to see, um, God, this was even a long time ago, seven or eight years ago, Scorpions and Dio. And I was like, wow, this the, the energy level has really come down on this. Not that Dio was really that dynamic on stage to start with. But I was like, right. wow. But you see you guys. It's like, how many places can you go see a band from your youth? where it's still like that same capturing that same experience. Like a lot of times you go see these bands and it's like seeing a new fucking star Wars movie. Okay. All the right elements are there. (laughs) Um, you know, it has Chewbacca and Yoda. That's fine, but it doesn't capture that magic. And I'm watching these videos. I can't even imagine what it's like live. And I'm like, these guys it's like watching that same and this isn't a good way that same show as far as the energy level and that magic and I don't think there's a lot of bands who could pull that off today there's a few, but I don't think it's the majority of them
3: I agree, and we see it all the time when we do these festivals a lot of big names and they get out there and they're they're just not good and they really shouldn't be out there anymore but they're they're just showing up and and taking the check and leaving so but you know, I guess I can't down them because they're, that's the only way they know how to make a living. So they do what they got to do. But um, one thing that, that about kicks, is that we've always taken pride in how we look, how we present ourselves, how we perform. And the audience is the most important reason we're there.
0: And that shines through, man, definitely. Dan, I'm sorry, you wanted to get in here a moment ago?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to let Steve know that, man, I really enjoy Wheels in Motion off Rock Your Face Off. Um, I just like that energy of that song. Can you explain that song to us real quick? Of like how y'all, how that came
3: to be? How involved were you with that track, man? Because I really liked it. That's my favorite track that. on the record. I, I agree with you. And um, actually, yeah, uh, Mark Shanker and, and a friend of his wrote that song. And when I first listened to that, I'm like, that song is great. First time I sang it, I thought, Jesus Christ, that song song's hard. <laughs> because it, it never stops. And, and when I do it live, as much as I like to jump around, there's not too much jumping around on that song because it's just never, there's no time to breathe. But yeah, right. I, I agree with you. That's, I think that's my favorite track on the record.
0: Dan, you right. must be psychically um, yeah. in tune with me because that's actually the song I um, picked out to play. So let's go ahead and play some Wheels in Motion from Rock Your Face Off oh, and nice. breathe. And breathe. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. back um steve we're gonna get you out of here in a minute i wanted to ask you a couple things one thing i like to ask people is we're from waldorf we played in a lot of bands coming up we spent a lot of time at wilmers park we've done a couple episodes about waldorf we did one about wilmers that was just us talking and it this everybody shared it It had like over ten thousand downloads with with an episode where we were just chatting and once again i feel like i over romanticized it in fact, I'm going to make a documentary this summer about Wilmer's Park and the Maryland music scene. Do you think that scene was special coming out of it, or do you think there was a million other scenes just like that scene back in that day?
3: Um, that was in the early days of Kicks, where you know we we put out it's probably our first album, maybe the second album, two albums we had out, and that the area really embraced us. And I I remember Wilmer's. My first impression was like. This is a dirt amphitheater. This is this is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And then for and sure. then the crowds were the crowds were overwhelming. I mean, they were they were loud, there was a lot of them, and we probably played that venue 8 10 times. So, you know, as 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 big of a dirt hole as it was, it was fun as hell to play.
0: Yeah, it had a great vibe to it. I actually threw a few festivals down there and worked with Wilmers and Warlock, who did the security, who was their nephew. And um, it was a crazy scene. It's gone now, but that's kind of why I want to do a documentary and talk to all the bands about that, because it felt special to me. And I've been in other music scenes and nothing has ever captured that magic of Wilmers Park and all those bands that came out of that scene in that era.
3: How long did that place last? Because I I don't think we played there after our second album,
0: which was probably 83, 84. They stopped doing shows on a regular basis, what, Dan, maybe 10 years ago? And then they finally tore the place down about three, four years ago?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Is that right? Am I on the target? Yeah. The older you get, the less time continuity makes sense to you, and you start misremembering <laughs> how it. far back time goes. All right, let's finish up with a couple um, quick points. I did all this research, like I said, you guys were off my radar for quite a while, and now you're back on hardcore. I'm back listening to you guys. When you think right. about Kix's like legacy, they're staple in this whole music thing. And where you guys didn't get to the level, the insane, you know, popularity of Ozzy or Metallica, when I read interviews about you guys, it's always the same words that come about you and Kicks, Fun, high energy, cool as fuck, down to earth. Are you happy with that legacy? I mean, does it matter if you didn't make it to, like, the upper stratosphere? The, the reputation you guys have for being such a welcoming and fun band, I feel like that's a legacy I could die happy with.
3: We're pretty damn happy with that. We've been playing the past year, we've been playing the entire Blow My Fuse album, which was the biggest album of our lives. And it was the 30th anniversary of of the record. So we, we remixed it and re-released it and, and redid everything to it and called it Fuse 30 Reblown. Right. We've been playing the whole record top to bottom during our live shows. And along with it, I'm telling stories about, you know, um, uh, how this song got released and where we made this video and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the set, I, I talk about you know, being on the road for 18 solid months, and, and uh, when we got uh, to the record company to sit down with all the suits, and they told us that uh, we still owed them a million dollars. Oh, my God. That, you know, our, our, our heads hit the, hit the table, and then it just dawned on me at that moment. It's like, you know what? When I was a kid in my bedroom playing drums and guitar and learning all the stuff on Casey Kasem's Top 40, I wasn't doing it for the money. And 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 I'm still not doing it for the money because I just love music. I love what I do. I love to perform. I love getting up in front of crowds, and I love the people that support us. So you know, it's it's been a a pretty satisfying career, even though we've never really made quote the big time.
0: Well, plus you also teach, right? You're still teaching at Maryland Institute of Music, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, got to yeah, be fulfilling for as well. Years. Yeah. It is. It, it was,
3: and, and especially when you get a student that you know has something and, and you can develop it. I mean, a lot of it, it it's about maybe 80-20 of people that I teach that really have a shot at, at making an impact in, in the music business. The rest of them, is just more or less a, an activity.
0: Right. Well, I, I wish it was more. I'd like to see more creativity, especially coming out of our youth today. Um, let's I finish agree. up with Fuse sturdy Reblown. Are you, you're playing the whole album when you're touring on that album, or when you were? This was last year. Are you still touring on that album, and are you playing all the songs from "Blow My Fuse"?
3: We're we're playing all the songs from "Blow My Fuse," and we're going to finish up. We're getting ready to go on the Monsters of Rock cruise here next week, and yeah, I we're going to do the we're, we're going to do the record on on the cruise, and then then we're going to stop and go back and do into what we used to do, stuff from all the albums.
0: Right on. What's it like playing that the second time around? And what's the audience like? Are you getting a younger crowd in? Or is it all of the people from the old Blow My Fuse days coming out?
3: We're multi-generational now. We got we got kids, we got parents, and we got grandparents. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty amazing. I just call that good parenting.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. <laughs> Dan, I know you're kid. Dan, do you have kids? I can't believe I even know if you have kids or not. I know you're married.
3: Oh. Uh-
1: Check this out. Uh, my daughter is twenty years old, lives up Holy in Colorado, shit. and 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 is a is is a grinder, just like her old man, with her photography. And um, yeah, she's doing all right, man. Yeah, I trust me, dude. i I wake up every day going, where did the time go? That's why why we got Steve on the phone. Where I, my my main question for him is, man, give me twenty years of experience. What do I? What should I be planning for now for later? <laughs>
0: So you asking Steve for advice on what he what you should be yeah. doing in the next 20 years.
1: In, in the music yeah, in the music business getting ready for everything that's coming on my way for for that time. You know, what what kind of guidance can he give us, you know?
3: Man, that it, it is just so different. I tell you if it wasn't for our legacy, if it wasn't for our older fans, if it wasn't for the fact that we've been doing this for so long, I doubt it would. I doubt we would want to do it. it. I don't know how young bands break out anymore. I don't know. I don't know how you get known. Radio doesn't play any new music yeah. from from this genre. Um, I guess it's it's YouTube and and word of mouth and just getting out and playing your ass off. You get in front of as many people as you can, and you better impress them. And, and then it's word of mouth, and then you know people start taking videos and put them up on Facebook, and um, mm. it's just a, an entirely different way of doing things and the way that we made it so like i say without our legacy we would we would be up shit creek
0: well you you know i always make the point too i remember back in 10th grade me and two friends skipped school to get the new iron maiden album somewhere in time went down to records etc was there before they fucking opened because we wanted to be the first person to get back then. I was even a cassette tape. That cassette tape. And this guy showed up. He was probably 22. And he's like, we asked him to get us some alcohol. He got us some Crown Royal. And he's like, I'll buy it for you if you let me keep the bag for my coins for my laundry. <laughs> right? And we're like, That's sure. Deal. <laughs> yeah. Got the Crown Royal. Got the album, went over to um, this girl Becky's house. Her and my friend Tammy were waiting for us there. And we were fucking kings in that moment. We were the first person to hear that album. We were going to go to school the next day and be like, we already listened to the album 50 times. And I feel like kids have lost that now because all they have to do is just jump online the second it comes out and download it. And they've lost that whole ritual of taping flyers to the um, telephone pole and pounding the pavement. I think the kids have lost that, and that's sad to me.
3: It is sad. I I totally agree with you. And, yeah, the the whole – the the mystic of it all was gone when people run out. And you you didn't know what your favorite bands looked like until you went out and bought a magazine. That's a great point. There was no MTV, it was just, and, and you, you learned about your band by reading the back of an album cover, and you learned about all, the, you know, who wrote the songs, and who played this, and who did that, and who produced, and so you learned about all these bands just by reading, and now, uh, the, I, don't, I don't even know why they have liner notes on records, because nobody buys records anymore or CDs.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good place in, now that we've done our crotchety old man, Kids Today um, get get off, off my
3: lawn get off my lawn <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly all right um Steve I cannot thank you enough this has been a complete pleasure like I said man growing up the f- one the first thing I heard when I moved to Waldorf was kicks that's all my um stepsister at the time could talk about so this has been a big thrill for us
3: yeah, well I appreciate it it's been my pleasure
0: and before you go please tell everybody where we can find you on the dastardly interwebs that all the kids are in TikTok.
3: I guess it's just Kicks.com. dot um, I'm sure we're on Instagram. I don't take care of any of that social media shit because I could care I could care less about it. But it's we're actually
0: kicksband. dot com.
3: Yeah, kicksband.com. and I guess I guess we're on Facebook and all that other shit. I don't know.
0: <laughs> all right, fair enough. All righty, Steve. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. You hear that, kids? All righty, thanks so much for calling in. This has been a pleasure, and we will have that link out to today's show soon sounds good dan before you go you want to tell everybody where they can find you online and when are you post in your newest episode the newest
1: episode premieres fridays at 8 facebook.com backslash the guitar gurus
0: who's your guest this time, week
1: uh this week actually i have it right here um we have um a local legend mark lambert um, he has a place called Mark's Place where they have all the local musicians get together and they cut studio tracks.
0: Is he related to bit. Tommy Lambert? Uh, no, nah,
1: this guy's from PG County. He's up uh, he's up from there. But uh, he's a good dude, man. But he's been doing this for years. And um, he's got some cool stories with him, man. It was fun last night talking to him.
0: Right on. Uh, and you said Instagram, too, we can find you? Yeah, at the Guitar Gurus. At the Guitar Gurus. Alrighty, fair enough. D, take us home. We'll see you guys in a week.